0: Beloved, there is a martial idiomatic phrase that is used in military circles and it's used in the business world. The idiom says an army marches on its stomach. Now that doesn't mean that soldiers advance on the enemy by crawling on their bellies. What that is describing is the reality that a soldier must be, no matter how well trained and fierce. Uh, fearsome or fearful or fearless, I should say, and brave and well-trained a soldier is, no matter how brilliant a general may be, if there aren't adequate food and supplies for the soldier, the battle will be lost. The idiom has been attributed to both Frederick the Great and Napoleon. Uh, The English phrase comes from the French phrase, c'est la soupe qui fait la soldat. It's the soup that feeds the soldier that makes the soldier and it's interesting even the French dynamic is interesting because perhaps one of the greatest historical examples of the truth behind this was when Napoleon in 1812 invaded Russia and he took his grande army the great French army and crossed from across the river Neman from what is modern-day Poland into Russia And the interesting dynamic is that the Russian forces didn't fight particularly hard. They kept retreating. But as the Russian forces would retreat, they would be sure that in the towns and whatever their camps were to leave nothing supply-wise for the invading French forces. And the farther Napoleon advanced into Russia, the longer his supply lines grew then small squads of Russians would attack the supply lines in different places and different locations. And eventually the lines were so long and so unreliable that Napoleon's army faced devastating shortages. There was a shortage of food, clothing, and fuel for fires. And when the fierce Russian winter struck, many of Napoleon's men died from the cold. Many others died from starvation and also from the lack of medical supplies. In fact, for every French soldier that was killed in combat, five French soldiers died from either starvation, exposure to cold, or lack of medical supplies. And the reality, the conclusion was, Napoleon left Russia with his army in tatters. Beloved, please open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. And you see, the very same dynamic is true in the holy war, in the spiritual combat and battle that you and I engaged in. And we know that in verses 10 through 17, in verses 10 through 13, God calls us to this holy war, to a spiritual battle. It is not a physical battle against flesh and blood, but a spiritual battle against the devil and against the powers and rulers and world forces of darkness. And in verses 14 through 17, God provides spiritual armor for every son of God, every daughter of God, every soldier in the army of the Lord. And the reality is that when we fight Satan's army, we need to be strong. We need to be brave and well-equipped with God's armor. But... We also need nourishment and supply line to keep us alive. And we can ask the question (coughs) excuse me, what is our spiritual supply line? What connects us? What connects you with your commanding officer? And the straightforward answer is prayer. Prayer, beloved, is a supply line between us and God, between you and God. God supplies all your needs you're fed, we are fed, refreshed, energized, and re-energized through prayer. Prayer is the way in which the supply line by which we get the fresh supplies, nourishment, and everything necessary to stay strong and healthy and warm and prepared to fight. Now, it's interesting as even we were going through the armor of God in verses 14 through 17, I saw in some social media posts from some beloved people from Santan Bible Church, I saw different pictures of these beautiful pictures of a fierce-looking warrior clad in armor with a helmet of salvation and a breastplate of righteousness and the sword of the Spirit and the shield of faith and the shoes of gospel readiness. And there's this picture of this fierce warrior, and that is very accurate of what Paul portrays praise in verses 14 through 17 but having said that and even having a picture of this fierce looking warrior clad in armor ready for battle as we go on from verse 17 to verse 18 we might wonder with such a fierce warrior in mind what's next what's the command is it we have seen him say stand firm in the terms of defense back in verse 14 is he going to say charge forward and fight defend and What's remarkable, beloved, is right after Paul finishes delineating and mapping out the armor of God, we might think, okay, let's go fight, or let's get spiritual, let's go evangelize, let's go... Tear down those spiritual fortresses that Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians 10, verses 3 through 5. All the idle speculations, the temptations and accusations and lies that are raised up against the truth of God. Let's go down and break those fortresses. Let's go debate a cultist. But it's not fight. It's not charge. It's not defend. It's not even evangelize. It's pray. Pray. The fierce warrior, what comes next is, get down on your knees, on your face, whatever the posture is, and pray. Beloved, as we realize that we're getting to the very end of this magnificent letter from the Apostle Paul, overflowing with lofty thoughts from Scripture, this grand canyon of scriptural, doctrinal, biblical truth, this crown and climax of Pauline theology, this Queen of the Pauline epistles begins in the great heights, the Mount Everest, of the heights of doctrinal truths that Paul gives in chapter 1, 2, and 3. And it now is coming to an end on its knees in prayer. Beloved, Paul finishes this letter with a final crescendo with a call to prayer. And that's the sermon title this morning. Our verse this morning is just verse 18. This is a call to prayer, part one. Next week will be part two. Listen as I read, beloved, verses 18 through 20. Again, we're just going to cover one verse 18, but I'll read verses 18 through 20 to get this call to prayer in its entirety. The Word of God says, verse 18, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit and With this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. And pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in change, that in proclaiming it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. And this is the word of God, beloved, that has been read in your hearing. Please attend to it as such. Now, as we looked at the six pieces of the armor of God, the six pieces of equipment, equipment, we finished in verse 17 with the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. That is the word of God directed to man. Now, as we go to verse 18, we see the word of man directed to God. And Sinclair Ferguson, in speaking on this beautiful, power-packed sentence in verse 18, said, this is perhaps Scripture's most comprehensive single sentence on how to pray. Now, one of the elements you might have picked up even as I read it, or if you look at it, in this verse, you'll see the word all four times, four times. And basically what Paul is bringing out there is he's saying all t- all kinds of prayer, all times, all perseverance, all saints, all children of God, all brothers and sisters in Christ. There's a thoroughness and an intensity that just comes out and springs from the text. And that's even the outline for us here this morning. Our outline this morning is there are four comprehensive, all-inclusive attributes of prayer that are given to us in verse 18. There is the variety of prayer, the frequency of prayer, the tenacity of prayer, and lastly, the unity of prayer. And beloved, I think the point is this. We understand, practically speaking, experiential speaking, more importantly, as God would teach us in Scripture, that we need to pray. We need to pray harder, and we need to pray better. Because sometimes it almost seems as though we're better at organizing rather than agonizing. We're better at rearranging rather than reconciling. And we're better at administering or administrating rather than interceding. So, beloved, we need to pray, pray harder, and pray better. Let's look at this first comprehensive, all-inclusive attribute of prayer, namely the variety of prayer. Now, we know from Scripture there are different kinds of prayer. Paul lists two different kinds here in verse 18, but we know in other portions of Scripture there are many different kind. And one of the other things that jump out from the text here in verse 18 is you see the word pray twice and the word petition twice. So, In the same way we see four times the word all, so also four times in just this one power-packed verse, Paul says pray or prayer, petition or make petition. And he begins with these words in the New American Standard, with all prayer and petition pray. Literally, the original language says through all prayer and petition, praying. It's a participle. It's praying. It's the word with I-N-G. Now, you may remember back in verses 14 through 17 with the armor, verse 14 began with this urgent command. Stand firm, therefore. And then the first four pieces of armor, we see these participles having girded your loins with the belt of truth, having shod your feet with the shoes of readiness, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Four times we see those participles which flow from the command in verse 14. Then in verse 17, we see a second urgent command. Take up the sword of the Spirit. So the point here is when Paul says, praying this connects this back with the armor of God certainly the sword of the spirit and the helmet of salvation but all of the armor of God that we saw before uh, one point I will bring here is some pastors some commentators some preachers uh, really look at there being two weapons from God here to the Christian the weapon of the word of God and the weapon of prayer now that thought is not bad when you look at all of Scripture. When we look at Scripture as a whole, there are certainly passages that would help us understand as Christians in this spiritual combat that we fight. We do have the weapon of the Word of God, as God gives us here in Ephesians six seventeen, And in a certain sense, prayer is a weapon for the Christian. But that is not at all how Paul presents this here, I mean, there's no mention of any part of the body that is tied in with prayer the way it is with at least the first five pieces of the armor of God, and there's not a specific piece of equipment as there were with the preceding six. Uh, another argument that's been made by some, even you know, sound people, is they say, well. There are 6 pieces of armor if we count them and as Christians we kind of don't like the number 6 it's you know kind of an incomplete number has bad connotations we like 7 the number of completion a little better so if we make prayer a weapon then that makes 7 well The good news is we're really not into numerology here at Sandtown Bible Church. (laughs) When when I do my sermon preparation, I do translation and lexical and syntactical analyses. I don't do numerical analyses. So it might be interesting and intriguing, but there's no support here that we should understand this specifically in this context as a weapon. However, the grammar and the language that Paul uses makes it very clear that prayer must pervade all all aspects of this holy war, all aspects of this spiritual combat, all wearing and utilizing and employing the armor of God that we saw before. What Paul is saying here is, even if we have our loins girded with the belt of truth, even if our vitals are protected with the breastplate of righteousness, even if our feet are shod with the shoes of gospel readiness, even if our body is protected by that large shield of faith, even if we've taken up the helmet of salvation, that our minds would be covered even if we're armed with the sword of the Spirit. If we don't strengthen and cover these with prayer, then the battle is not. The battle is lost. Beloved, what God tells us here is that the armor of God provides, the armor that God provides can't be used except when in continual fellowship and communion with God. So, we can understand the command, the urgent command in verse 14 to stand firm against the enemy's schemes. We do that through prayer. We take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit prayerfully is what we should understand. Now, in this, we see prayer and petition, two different words, two different words, because, again, these are two different kinds of prayer. Prayer, the word prayer in the New American Standard is kind of the general overarching term. Petition, uh, it's translated also, for example, in Philippians 4:6, the same Greek word is translated there as supplication. So these are two of the different kinds of prayers that we see in Scripture. Uh, Some of you may be familiar with, this may be brand new to some, there's a very useful acronym to help us understand some of the different kinds of prayers and in scripture. And the acronym is ACTS. A A is for adoration. C is for confession. And T is for thanksgiving. S is for supplication or petition here. So we are commanded and encouraged and privileged to, in our prayers, give God praise and adoration. We are to confess our sins. Uh, we have an old Testament stellar example of this is Daniel. When Daniel offers up a prayer on behalf of the nation of Israel in Daniel chapter nine, he confesses sin and even speaks in the first person and the second person, even though Daniel himself didn't necessarily commit the sins that he is confessing on behalf of his nation as the spokesman for the nation, he confesses his sin. So adoration, confession. Certainly, Thanksgiving isn't something that should be relegated to just Turkey Day in November in the United States. Thanksgiving should pepper and saturate everything that we do. And of course, supplication and petition uh, these are all healthy parts of prayer. Now, I want to give an illustration to uh, help us understand what is kind of a natural tendency for us in the flesh on this side of glory. Now, in my sermons, I don't use slides up above, so I'm going to ask you to use your imagination. Imagine that we have a slide coming up. So there's a PowerPoint slide coming up, and I hit the little space button for the PowerPoint animation to kick in, and the capital letter A appears on the screen. A standing for adoration. And in this picture, the A is, let's say, size 12 font. And this is to kind of demonstrate the emphases that we might naturally have with these different kinds of prayer. Then I hit the space bar and the animation kicks in and the capital letter C comes up of confession and maybe that size 8 font or 10 font, maybe a little less than the adoration. I hit the bar again and up comes the capital letter T for thanksgiving. Maybe that's back up at the 12 font, 14 font. And then lastly, I hit the the space bar the last time, and the capital S comes up in big, large, 48 font because that is what the natural tendency is. We, beloved, we want to be careful. We don't want to be like the Proverbs leech sisters. Give me, give me. Now, to be sure, supplication and petition is right and appropriate. In fact, in a little bit in the sermon, we'll have some wonderful illustrations that Christ himself gives about petitions. But, beloved, let us be balanced in our prayer, mixing in all the different kinds of prayer, including prayer and petition, the two kinds that the Apostle Paul brings out here. And this is nothing new to Paul. Colossians 4, 2, for example, Paul said to the Colossian church, devote yourselves to prayer. Solomon gives the great statement in Proverbs 15, verse 8. He lets us know that God loves your prayers. Solomon says, God says through Solomon, the prayer of the upright is his delight. So, beloved, when you go to the Lord Lord, with your praise, with your confession, with your thanksgiving, and with your petition, your supplication, it is his delight. It brings Your creator God, joy. Beloved, pray through scripture. Pray through psalms. Pray through hymns. Pray publicly, privately. Pray corporately. Pray as an individual, as a family, as a church. And I'm going to close out this section of this first attribute of the variety of prayer with a beautiful illustration that is given from history in the context of the petition, the supplication that is the last part that Paul gives here. It's from an anonymous confederate soldier's prayer. The soldier said this, I asked God for strength that I might achieve. I was made weak so that I might learn to obey. I asked God for health that I might do great things. I was given infirmity that I might do better things. I asked for riches that I might be happy. I was given poverty that I might be wise. I asked for power that I might have the praise of men. I was given weakness that I might fill the need for my God. I asked for all things that I might enjoy life. I was given life that I might enjoy all things. I received nothing for which I asked, but I was given everything that I needed and that I truly hoped for. So, beloved, the great all comprehensive, unified attribute of prayer is there's a variety of prayer. The second attribute of prayer is the frequency of prayer. And what Paul continues here in verse 18, he says, in essence, pray always, not now and again, not only when we're in trouble, pray always. He answers the question of the when and where of prayer. And he says, pray regularly and constantly, pray Publicly and privately, in every circumstance, in every time, and in every place, and in every season. Pray at all times, and pray at all points of time, or pray all the time. That's why he says, at all times in the Spirit. Now, The Greek word translated as time here is not the word. There's two Greek words that are translated as time in the New Testament, kairos and chronos. Chronos is more in line with the kind of chronological ticking of the clock that we might think. Kairos describes more different situations, different seasons of life. And what Paul is saying here, this is at all kairos in the spirit, all different situations, circumstances. He's saying that prayer is always the right response for every Christian in every place, in every circumstance, in every situation. And he says this, these fourfold alls throughout this verse is stated categorically with no qualification or exception. Well, there's qualification given here, but not in terms of lessening the force of the all. He's saying pray according to the situation. Pray in every situation. Now, Having said that, there is the clock-ticking aspect of this. There is the chronos aspect of the thrust of this command. And, for example, your mind might be drawn to 1 Thessalonians five seventeen, where there the Apostle Paul tells the church in Thessalonica, pray without ceasing. Now, we... Take that at face value we might ask the question how does one pray without ceasing what does that look like i mean that seems kind of impossible i there's things i have to do in life i have to do my job i have to sleep i have to you know make meals i have to do this that and the other things so how can i pray without ceasing now if we limit our thinking of prayer merely to the articulation of the tongue we can kind of see how that would be difficult now to be sure Biblical prayer does involve the articulation of the tongue. However, it also involves, in some ways even more importantly, not just the articulation of the tongue, but the disposition of the heart. And that is at the center of what it means to pray without ceasing, to always, even if we're making the meal, working, doing this, that, or the other thing, to have a heart that is saturated and filled with adoration of God and confession of our shortcoming of God's standard of holiness and thanksgiving to the Lord for the things that we the manifold things that we know we don't deserve and also even for the petition and supplications that come out of our heart in our heart cry to the Lord. Uh, The story is told that there were a group of believers in a village, in a remote kind of rural village, and they were converted to Christianity, and they were devoted and earnest and regular in their private devotion. And what would happen is the men of the village would find a certain place out in the thicket out in the brush that would be their place of prayer, and so over time there would be a beaten down path from the village out to their spot. But the dynamic of this is it basically would also make it very apparent if a brother began to neglect his prayers for the other believers. And the believers would remind the neglectful one, they would say, brother, grass is growing on your path. Beloved, the point here is show yourself to be a disciple by doing what disciples do. Pray at all times. Now, The qualification that Paul does give here is he says, pray at all times in the Spirit. So what does it mean to be praying in the Spirit? And what it means is Paul is describing the atmosphere and the power. He is saying, pray in the will of God and pray for the will of God to be done, not our human will. It is prayer that is fueled by the Spirit and framed by the sword of the Spirit. And it's also recognizing that the same God that commands that you pray enables you to pray. That's part of what it means to pray in the Spirit. It means praying with hearts that are indwelt and illuminated and filled by the Holy Spirit. The Puritan Thomas Brooks said, Prayer is nothing but breathing out that which God has already Breathe in to us in our new life in Christ. And again, even the continuation and the connection between the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and this command to be doing this, to be taking up the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, while praying. Another Puritan, William Gurnall, who wrote the book I've mentioned before, the magnificent tome, The Christian in Complete Armor, what he said is, he said, without the Spirit's breath, We're like unstable souls, not well grounded. We have no anchor hold in our understanding, giving this picture of a ship is adrift. He says, so we're at the mercy of the wind, cast adrift and carried downstream, even as the dead fish with the current of the tide. Or in the context of prayer being the breath of life, prayer being the supply line by which, almost like an oxygen line for a deep-sea diver with the shore above, you can think of the cetaceans, the aquatic mammals, the animals, the mammals that live in the sea, live in water but breathe air. The whale, the dolphin, and their like. They The sea is their home. They never leave they, their home. The whales Swim at the deepest levels of darkness in the sea, but they always have to rise to the surface to grasp and get hold and breathe the life giving air. Beloved, this is how it is for us. We must come up for the air, the breath of life that God provides through the supply line of prayer. Prayer is our breath of life. when you think about it, extending the illustration, you don't have to think about breathing. It's not hard to breathe. Uh, you know, COVID and whatever else, you know, notwithstanding, in normal circumstances, it's not hard to breathe. What's hard is to hold your breath. Beloved, in the same way for the Christian, we should live and breathe and follow God in such a fashion that it's not hard to pray but to not pray is what's hard for us in the same way holding our breath for any extended period of time would be difficult Um, When we think of the in the spirit dynamic as well, there's another beautiful illustration that helps us understand the dynamic here. In John chapter 4, you'll remember the beautiful story of Christ coming to Jacob's well and meeting the Samaritan woman in the little city of Sychar, the Samaritan city of Sychar. And we've been going through this, I think I mentioned before, in our Thursday morning men's Bible study. And Christ told the woman in response, when the woman was so surprised that Christ, as a Jewish man, would interact with her, a Samaritan woman, in the way in which she was doing, the woman said, well, your people worship in Jerusalem, but my people worship in this mountain, Again, Jacob's well was in the city of Sychar, which was at the base of Mount Ebal to the north and Mount Gerasim to the south. And what Christ said to her in answering her is he said, woman, an hour is coming and is here now when people will worship God in spirit and in truth. And what he was saying was, people will worship God in Jerusalem, and they will worship God in Sychar, and on Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim, when and if and only if they're in the Spirit. What he's bringing out there—it's not about the geographical location; it's about being in the Spirit and having the indwelling Spirit within the person. That's worshiping God in Spirit and in truth. That's praying in the Spirit. I. Heard an Irish fiery pastor, Jaden knows I love this guy, David Legg, he said, what use, is, and I wish I could give a good imitation of an Irish accent, but I think I just embarrassed myself, so I won't try. What David Legg said, he says, what use is electricity to a man that doesn't recognize unless he puts the plug in the socket, he can't get the power? Beloved, that's the same thing. You have the supply line. To be sure, the enemy will seek to attack the supply line. There'll be squads of demons we can't see. We don't know what's going on there. They will try to interrupt that, but God will not allow that supply line to be broken or interrupted, but you and I have the responsibility to avail ourselves of it. Power is sitting there, but it must be used. That's why The psalmist said in Psalm 119 verse 164, seven times a day I praise you. And there is a nice complete (laughs) number there, seven of that. So, beloved, there's a variety of prayer. There's a frequency of prayer. The third comprehensive, all-inclusive attribute of prayer is the tenacity of prayer. In Luke 18, verse 1, you see the words from Dr. Luke that Jesus was telling them a parable. Jesus was teaching his disciples a parable with an explanation to show at all times they ought to pray and to not lose heart. Always praying, always watching. What God is saying here in verse 18 of Ephesians 6 is don't fall asleep. Stay awake. Be attentive. Be vigilant. Don't be lazy. Rouse yourself. If you're neglecting your prayer, brother, if grass is growing on your path, get up and take yourself to the task. That's why here, look at verse 18, he says, And with this in view, be on the alert. And literally, it's being on the alert. So in verse 18, there's actually two participles there's praying, ing, at least in the original language, and this one here, being on the alert. So, Again, this is connecting it with the armor of God. What he's saying is keep praying, keep watching. And this same Greek word used here for being on the alert, in Luke 21, Christ, when he was answering the end time questions of his apostles, in Luke 21, 36, in the Olivet Discourse, he said, keep on the alert, same word, at all times, praying, so that you may have strength to escape all these things that are about to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. And if you're here right when the world kind of went insane, when COVID was hitting in March and April of 2020, we providentially, as we were going through Luke, we're in Luke chapter 21 in the Olive Discourse. And you may remember that the end times teaching of all of Scripture, both the Old Testament and the New Testament, is not about speculation there are signs Christ does explain them the fundamental foundation of end times teaching in scripture is for preparation and readiness of all Christians at any point in time in any country and in any circumstance and the root meaning of this word be on the alert in Luke 21 and here in Ephesians 6 18 means keep awake throw off your drowsiness Because we have an understanding, we have a tendency to sleep when we should be praying. And can you think of any significant examples of that? For example, in the Garden of Gethsemane, when Jesus took his inner circle of Peter, James, and John with him to the Garden of Gethsemane, and he gave them a very simple command, a very simple request, come alongside me, stay awake, keep watch, and pray. And it was their failure there that led to the disastrous disloyalty, disloyalty, evidenced most powerfully by Peter's three denials. And beloved, the same failure today leads to the same kind of disastrous disloyalty in our life. But it's through prayer that you and I wait upon the Lord. It's through prayer that you and I renew our spiritual strength. And without prayer, we are too weak and too flabby, is the way Martin Lloyd Jones says, to stand against the forces of, e- against forces of evil in this great battle. Now, beloved, it's not just about awakeness, it's about watchfulness. Psalm 27, verse 14, David says, Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. And then in Psalm 130, verse 6, my soul waits for the Lord more than the watchman in the morning. Indeed, more than the watchman in the morning. Now, the picture that's being brought out there with the watchman is powerful and staggering. A watchman was a man, a soldier, or a guard that was stationed on the wall of the city or on the outskirts of the camp. And the responsibility of the watchman was to stay awake and not just stay awake, but stay watchful, be alert and vigilant, and watch for any approaching danger. And if danger is coming, the watchman's responsibility was to blow the trumpet and alert the troops. Um, Ezekiel 33 verses one through eight is a powerful treatment of this as well as well. And by the way, what the, pun- the punishment and the penalty was, if a watchman, if a guard, fell asleep, that was a capital punishment. They would pay for that in most countries, most situations, most lands in the ancient times, with their life. So the picture is one of alert and active vigilance for the safety of others. George Orwell, who wrote 1984, um, not speaking in the context of fiction, uh, although 1984 seems to be becoming less fiction, but that's a digression. Anyway, Orwell said this, he said, we sleep safe in our beds because rough men stand ready in the night to visit violence on those who would do us harm. Now, Again, we know that our battle is not a physical battle. It's not against flesh and blood. But, beloved, pray with alertness and vigilance. Stay awake, be watchful, and don't give up. Don't give up. Look at verse 18. He continues, with all perseverance and petition. That's the second appearance of petition. The fourth appearance of pray or petition. But the point here is, with all perseverance, don't give up. Beloved, God loves prayers. God loves your prayer. God commands us to give him no rest and to never keep silent. Uh, through the prophet Isaiah, in Isaiah 62, verses 6 through 7, God begins with this literal physical imagery of a watchman, but then applies it spiritually to the nation of Israel and by appropriate application and extension to you and to me. Isaiah 62, verse 6 God says, on your walls, O Jerusalem, I have appointed watchmen. All day and all night they'll never keep silent. Now here's the application. You who remind the Lord, take no rest for yourselves and give him no rest until he establishes and makes Jerusalem a praise in the earth. Now the final part of that, of, of establishing and making jerusalem a praise in the earth that was part of god's particular covenant promise to the nation of israel but the appropriate application is for you son of god daughter of god take no rest for yourself and the staggering words are give him no rest in your prayers give him no rest with your adoration give him no rest with your confession with your thanksgiving and give him no rest with your petitions and supplications. And as I mentioned before, the beautiful illustrations that Christ gave in his teaching in Luke 11 and in Luke 18. In Luke 11, in verses 1 through 13, he uses an illustration of a friend, and then he uses an illustration of a father, and then in chapter 18, Luke uses the illustration of an unrighteous judge. If you want, in Luke 11... Look at verses 11 through 13. I'll start with the illustration that Christ gives of the Father. And the idea here is that on this side of glory, in the flesh, we are evil. We are the sons of the first Adam. We've gone astray from the womb. We drink iniquity like water. There's nothing good to be found in us. Yet, God has established in the heart of a father a natural love and protectiveness and care for his child. And in verses 11 through 13, Luke 11, Christ says, Now suppose one of you fathers is asked by his son for a fish. He will not give him a snake instead of a fish, will he? Or if he's asked for an egg, he will not give him a scorpion, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, here's the point. How much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? And beloved, the point is, since finite imperfect fathers act with fatherly instincts in this way, how much more will your lovingly perfect Father in heaven answer the petitions and supplications of of his child, of his daughter, of his son. Or the friend in the earlier verses, verses 1 through 9 or 10, there was a man that went and needed something for a visitor, and he went and was knocking on the door of one of his friends, and the fr- friend wasn't interested in helping, wasn't interested in contributing, wasn't concerned, had a heart of go away and bother me. But because of the persistence in the knocking, the friend gave what he asked. And the point is if a friend with poor motives and a bad attitude gives you what you seek because of your tenacity because of your persistence how much more will the friend you have in Jesus give you what you seek in your tenacity and your persistence or the widow in Luke 18 verses 1 through 8 this is a widow who is helpless and She approaches a judge who is heartless. It's an unrighteous judge. It's a judge who doesn't care about people, doesn't care about God. But the widow refuses to give up. She kept on coming to him, is what Christ says. She has one string in her bow, and she plucks it with persistence. Beloved, what Jesus is teaching here is prayer is a bulldog tenacity of request. It's a diligent search that refuses to give up. It's a bold knocking on the door. God wants you from Ephesians 6, verse 18, and from these pictures that Christ gives as recorded by Dr. Luke, to be bold, be shameless. Go into the presence of God and pour out your heart. Ask God to listen and to not turn away. Ask him to hear your heart cry. Tell God to remember his covenant promises. And it's staggering, but there are examples of biblical prayers of God giving for us by way of example where people... And they even use the the grammar of command basically tell God Lord remember what you have said. This is all the blessing of a sovereign God giving the responsibility to men and the power and the joy and the privilege of prayer. Pray and don't faint. Don't worry about anything but pray beloved about everything. So there's Variety, there's frequency, there's tenacity. The fourth comprehensive, all-inclusive attribute of prayer is the unity of prayer. If you've been here as we've been going through the call to war and the armor of God, you understand that if you're a Christian, you're part of God's army. But you're not the only soldier in the war. You care for yourself and you care for the other soldiers. And what happens to one part of the body of Christ affects the entire body. That's why the Apostle Paul said to the Corinthian church, 2 Corinthians 11, verse 29, Who is weak without me being weak? Who is led into sin without my intense concern? Or, As Paul says here at the end of verse 18, these are prayers for all the saints. With all perseverance and petition for not some of the saints, most of the saints, for all the saints. William Hendrickson, the commentator, said this. In this fellowship of prayer, Jewish converts mustn't forget the Gentile converts. The old mustn't ignore the young. The free mustn't neglect those held in bondage nor vice versa. It must be prayer for all the saints. With God, Hendrickson finishes, there is no partiality. Now, similar to one of the questions we asked before, we can ask the question, well, how do we pray for all the saints? Do we get the the Christian yellow pages and start with, you know, Adam Adamson and just kind of go through by name? Now, beloved, pray for all the saints individually, corporately, regionally, categorically. I remember when I was in Rome in 2019, September 2019, I went for a run from my hotel room and I thought I'd go over to the Vatican and I got over there and I wasn't planning on it but I ended up walking around the Vatican and while I was walking around the Vatican I was praying for Italian Christians that are under the burden of this dark specter of Roman Catholicism in Rome so I prayed categorically I prayed regionally and I prayed particularly I prayed for my brother Johnny Gravino who is a missionary in Italy ministering and evangelizing Italians and seeking to train up italian pastors and as tempted as it was i didn't march around it seven times to blow a trumpet not that that would have done anything (laughs) if it would it would have been dancing Uh, but beloved another application i bring to your attention again and i know i've been doing this a lot but it is escalating even now as we speak i bring again to your attention faithful pastors in canada in finland Uh, evil men and spiritual forces of darkness behind them are working through this virus and the reaction to it to shut down faithful men of God and they are in prison right now they're being held as a result of that in Canada, Finland and expanding elsewhere we need to pray for these men Uh, here we need to pray here's another way in which you can pray for all the saints pray for the young Christians who are surrounded by more temptation than any generation in history Pray for Christian parents who might be unsure they're up to the challenge of raising children. Pray for single Christians that might be attacked and working on the issue of loneliness. Pray for middle-aged Christians who might be at a point where they begin to wonder, does my life really matter? Pray for the elderly Christians who might be in failing health and could face cruel attacks of doubt and fear even as death itself might Approach. And beloved, understand this. Anytime, whenever you go to the throne room seeking a blessing for someone else, you will always return with a blessing for yourself. That's not your intent, that's not your primary motivation, but that is the beautiful reality of the mystery of the gospel unfolded as it's been revealed to the Apostle Paul, the mystery of the gospel that you'll see there in verse 19. And it was in Bunyan's allegorical Pilgrim's Progress, it was when Christian perceived the mouth of hell, hard by the wayside in the valley of the shadow of death, when Christian saw, the pilgrim saw, flame and smoke and heard the hideous noises therein, that he was forced to put up his sword and cry out, O Lord, I beseech thee, deliver my soul. Beloved, that is part of the mystery of the gospel that we will sing in a beautiful song after communion. Martin... Lloyd-Jones said, Prayer is beyond any question the highest activity of the human soul. Man is at his greatest and highest when on his knees he comes face to face with God. And beloved, long before Satan attacks you with a particular temptation or a particular accusation or a particular lie, he may first attack the supply line in an effort to prevent you from connecting with God through prayer. And and an outworking of that, what that might look like, is that we may often pray sometimes with some kinds of prayers, with some measure of perseverance for some Christians. Beloved, rather, let us with all prayer and petition pray at all times, with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. In the same way your pulse is a primary indicator of your physical life, beloved, in the same way your prayer is a primary indicator of your spiritual life. And I'm going to close with a quote from a 1907 book, Power Through Prayer. The author said this, The church is looking for better methods. God is looking for better men. What the church needs today is not more or better machinery, not new organizations, not more and novel methods. What the church needs today are men whom the Holy Spirit can use, men of prayer, men mighty in prayer, women of prayer, women mighty in prayer. That's my insertion. The Holy Spirit doesn't flow through methods, but through men. He doesn't come on machinery, but on men. He doesn't anoint God anoints men. God anoints men of prayer. God, end quote, God anoints women. God anoints women of prayer. Let us be a people of prayer for the glory of God, for our joy, and for the advancement of the kingdom of God. Please join me, beloved, as we go to the Lord in prayer. Lord God, we praise you and thank you, Lord. We thank you for the revelation through the Apostle Paul of the mystery of the gospel in Ephesians. We praise you and thank you for the beautiful mountaintops of doctrine and deep, rich, profound theological truth. And what a joy, what a humbling measure and movement it is to come here towards the end of the epistle and to be driven to our needs as a reminder of while, we have, while the victory has been won by you, Lord Jesus, that we need you, we need your strength, we need the breath of prayer and the freshness of joy that you instill and engender in the heart of your child. And Lord God, for anyone that is here this morning or listening now or later that is not trusting in you alone by faith alone for their salvation. Dear God, bring them to yourself. Help them to realize the predicament standing on the precipice of eternal hell, which is what they deserve, what we all deserve because of sin. And help them to understand the path and the way of escape, Lord Jesus, you provided by giving your life voluntarily at the cross and then being buried in the ground and raising from the grave in your resurrection. And it is for your glory and honor, Lord Jesus, that we keep this in mind even now as we approach the communion table. Amen.